Chapter 19, Part 2 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 19, Successful Management, Part 2. My eldest daughter, Caroline, and her friend, Mrs. Lyman, of Bridgeport, accompanied me on the tour from New York to Havana, and thence home, via New Orleans and the Mississippi. We were at Baltimore on the Sabbath, and my daughter, accompanying a friend who resided in the city, to church, took a seat with her in the choir, and joined in the singing. A number of the congregation, who had seen Caroline with me the day previous, and supposed her to be Jenny Lynn, were yet laboring under the same mistake, and it was soon whispered through the church that Jenny Lynn was in the choir. The excitement was worked to its highest pitch when my daughter rose as one of the musical group. Every ear was on the alert to catch the first notes of her voice, and when she sang, glances of satisfaction passed through the assembly. Caroline, quite unconscious of the attention she attracted, continued to sing to the end of the hymn. Not a note was lost upon the ears of the attentive congregation. What an exquisite singer! Heavenly sounds! I never heard the like, and similar expressions were whispered through the church. At the conclusion of the services, my daughter and her friend found the passageway to the carriage blocked by a crowd who were anxious to obtain a nearer view of the Swedish nightingale, and many persons that afternoon boasted, in good faith, that they had listened to the extraordinary singing of the great songstress. The pith of the joke is that we have never discovered that my daughter has any extraordinary claims as a vocalist. Our orchestra in New York consisted of sixty. When we started on our southern tour, we took with us permanently as the orchestra twelve of the best musicians we could select, and in New Orleans augmented the force to sixteen. We increased the number to thirty-five, forty, or fifty, as the case might be, by choice of musicians residing where the concerts were given. On our return to New York from Havana, we enlarged the orchestra to one hundred performers. The morning after our arrival in Washington, President Fillmore called and left his card, Jenny being out. When she returned and found the token of his attention, she was in something of a flurry. Come, said she, we must call on the president immediately. Why so, I inquired. Because he has called on me, and of course that is the equivalent to a command for me to go to his house. I assured her that she might make her mind at ease, for whatever might be the custom with crowned heads, our presidents were not wont to command the movements of strangers, and that she would be quite in time if she returned his call the next day. She did so, and was charmed with the unaffected bearing of the president and the warm kindnesses expressed by his amiable wife and daughter, and consented to spend the evening with them in conformity with their request. She was accompanied to the White House by Messrs. Benedict, Belletti, and myself, and several happy hours were spent in the private circle of the president's family. Mr. Benedict, who engaged in a long, quiet conversation with Mr. Fillmore, was highly pleased with the interview. A foreigner, 
accustomed to court etiquette is generally surprised at the simplicity which characterizes the chief magistrate of this union in eighteen fifty two i called on the president with my friend the late mr brittell of london who resided in st james palace and was quite a worshipper of the queen and an ardent admirer of all the dignities and ceremonies of royalty he expected something of the kind in visiting the president of the united states and was highly pleased with his disappointment both concerts in washington were attended by the president and his family and every member of the cabinet i noticed also among the audience henry clay benton foote cass and general scott and nearly every member of congress on the following morning miss lynn was called upon by mr webster mr clay general cass and colonel benton and all parties were evidently gratified i had introduced mr webster to her in boston upon hearing one of her wild mountain songs in new york and also in washington mr webster signified his approval by rising drawing himself up to his full height and making a profound bow jenny was delighted by this expression of praise from the great statesman when i first introduced miss lynde to mr webster at the revere house in boston she was greatly impressed with his manners and conversation and after his departure walked up and down the room in great excitement exclaiming ah mr barnum that is a man i have never before seen such a man we visited the capitol while both houses were in session miss lynn took the arm of hon c f cleveland representative from connecticut and was by him escorted into various parts of the capitol and the grounds with all of which she was much pleased while i was in washington an odd reminiscence of my old show day in the south came back to me in a curious way some years before in eighteen thirty six my traveling show company had stopped at a hotel in jackson mississippi and as the house was crowded soon after i went to bed five or six men came into the room with cards and a candle and asked permission as there was no other place to sit down and play a quiet game of brag i consented on condition that i might get up and participate which was permitted and in a very little while as i knew nothing whatever of the game i lost fifty dollars good hands and good fortune soon enabled me to win back my money at which point one of the players who had been introduced to me as lawyer foot said now the best thing you can do is to go back to bed you don't know anything about the game and these fellows do and they'll skin you i acted upon his advice and now years afterwards when senator foot called upon miss lynn the story came back to me and while i was talking with him i remarked fifteen years ago when i was in the south i became acquainted with a lawyer named foot at jackson mississippi it must have been me said the senator i am the only lawyer foot of jackson mississippi oh no it could not have been you and i told him the story it was me he whispered in my ear and added i used to gamble like h l in those days during the week i was invited with miss lynde and her immediate friends to visit mount vernon with colonel washington the then proprietor and mr seaton ex-mayor of washington and editor of the intelligencer colonel washington chartered a steamboat for the purpose 
we were landed a short distance from the tomb which we first visited proceeding to the house we were introduced to mrs washington and several other ladies much interest was manifested by miss lynde in examining the mementos of the great man whose home it had been a beautiful collation was spread out and arranged in fine taste before leaving mrs washington presented jenny with a book from the library with the name of washington written by his own hand she was much overcome at receiving this present called me aside and expressed her desire to give something in return i have nothing with me she said excepting this watch and chain and i will give that if you think it will be acceptable i knew the watch was very valuable and told her that so costly a present would not be expected nor would it be proper the expense is nothing compared to the value of that book she replied with deep emotion but as the watch was a present from a dear friend perhaps i should not give it away jenny lind i am sure never forgot the pleasurable emotions of that day at richmond half an hour previous to her departure hundreds of young ladies and gentlemen had crowded into the halls of the house to secure a glimpse of her at parting i informed her that she would find difficulty in passing out how long is it before we must start she asked half an hour i replied oh i will clear the passages before that time said she with a smile whereupon she went into the upper hall and informed the people that she wished to take the hands of every one of them upon one condition the they should pass by her in rotation and as fast as they had shaken hands proceed downstairs and not block up the passages they joyfully consented to the arrangement and in fifteen minutes the course was clear poor jenny had shaken hands with every person in the crowd and i presume she had a feeling remembrance of the incident for an hour or two at least she was waited on by many members of the legislature while in richmond that body being in session while we were there the voyage from wilmington to charleston was an exceedingly rough and perilous one we were about thirty-six hours in making the passage the usual time being seventeen there was really great danger of our steamer being swamped and we were all apprehensive that we should never reach the port of charleston alive some of the passengers were in great terror jenny lynn exhibited more calmness upon this occasion than any other person the crew excepted we arrived safely at last and i was grieved to learn that for twelve hours the loss of the steamer had been considered certain and had even been announced by telegraph in the northern cities we remained at charleston about ten days to take the steamer isabella on her regular trip to havana jenny had been through so much excitement at the north that she determined to have quiet here and therefore declined receiving any calls this disappointed many ladies and gentlemen one young lady the daughter of a wealthy planter near augusta was so determined upon seeing her in private that she paid one of the servants to allow her to put on a cap and white apron and carry in the tray for jenny's tea i afterwards told miss lynn of the joke and suggested that after such an evidence of admiration she should receive a call from the young lady it is not admiration it is only curiosity replied jenny and i will not encourage such folly christmas was at hand and jenny lynn determined to honor it in the way she had often done in sweden she had a beautiful christmas tree privately prepared 
and from its boughs depended a variety of presents for members of the company. These gifts were encased in paper, with the names of the recipients written on each. After spending a pleasant evening in her drawing-room, she invited us into the parlor, where the surprise awaited us. Each person commenced opening the packages bearing his or her address, and although every individual had one or more pretty presents, she had prepared a joke for each. Mr. Benedict, for instance, took off wrapper after wrapper from one of his packages, which at first was as large as his head, but after having removed some forty coverings of paper, it was reduced to a size smaller than his hand, and the removal of the last envelope exposed to view a piece of Cavendish tobacco. One of my presents, choicely wrapped in a dozen coverings, was a jolly young Bacchus in Parian marble, intended as a pleasant hit at my temperance principles. The night before New Year's Day was spent in her apartment with great hilarity. Enlivened by music, singing, dancing, and storytelling, the hours glided swiftly away. Miss Lynn asked me if I would dance with her. I told her my education had been neglected in that line, and that I had never danced in my life. That is all the better, said she. Now dance with me in a cotillion. I am sure you can do it. She was a beautiful dancer, and I never saw her laugh more heartily than she did at my awkwardness. She said she would give me the credit of being the poorest dancer she ever saw. About a quarter before twelve, Jenny suddenly checked Mr. Burke, formerly celebrated as the musical prodigy, Master Burke, who was playing on the piano, by saying, Pray let us have quiet. Do you see, in fifteen minutes more, this year will be gone forever. She immediately took a seat and rested her head upon her hand in silence. We all sat down, and for a quarter of an hour the most profound quiet reigned in the apartment. The remainder of the scene I transcribed from a description written the next day by Mrs. Lyman, who was present on the occasion. The clock of a neighboring church struck the knell of the dying year. All were silent. Each heart was left to its own communings, and the bowed head and tearful eye told that memory was busy with the past. It was a brief moment, but thoughts and feelings were crowded into it, which render it one never to be forgotten. A moment more, the last stroke of the clock had fallen upon the ear, the last faint vibration ceased. Another period of time had passed for our way, a new one had dawned, in which each felt that they were to live and act. This thought recalled them to a full consciousness of the present, and all arose and quietly, but cordially, presented to each other the kind wishes of the season. As the lovely hostess pressed the hands of her guests, it was evident that she, too, had wept. She, the gifted, the admired, the almost idolized one. Had she, too, cause for tears? Whence were they? From the overflowings of a grateful heart, from tender associations, or from sad remembrances? None knew, none could ask, though they awakened deep and peculiar sympathy. And from one heart, at least, arose the prayer that when the dial of time should mark the last hour of her earthly existence, she should greet its approach with joy and not with grief that to her soul spirit voices might whisper come sweet sister come to the realms of unfading light and love come 
join your seraphic tones with ours in singing the praises of him who loved us and gave himself for us while she with meekly folded hands and faith uplifted eye should answer yes gladly and without fear i come for i know that my redeemer liveth i had arranged with a man in new york to transport furniture to havana provide a house and board jenny lynn and our immediate party during our stay when we arrived we found the building converted into a semi-hotel and the apartments were anything but comfortable jenny was vexed soon after dinner she took a volant and an interpreter and drove into the suburbs she was absent for hours whither or why she had gone none of us knew at length she returned and informed us that she had hired a commodious furnished house in a delightful location outside the walls of the city and invited us all to go and live with her during our stay in havana and we accepted the invitation she was now freed from all annoyances her time was her own she received no calls went and came when she pleased had no meddlesome advisers about her legal or otherwise and was as merry as a cricket we had a large courtyard in the rear of the house and here she would come and romp and run sing and laugh like a young schoolgirl now mr bardham for another game of ball she would say half a dozen times a day whereupon she would take an india rubber ball of which she had two or three and commence a game of throwing and catching which would be kept up until being completely tired out i would say i give it up then her rich musical laugh would be heard ringing through the house as she exclaimed oh mr barnum you are too fat and too lazy you cannot stand it to play ball with me her celebrated countrywoman miss frederica bremer spent a few days with us very pleasantly and it is difficult to conceive of a more delightful month than was passed by the entire party at jenny lynn's house in the outskirts of havana end of chapter nineteen part two recording by nancy cochran gergen gilbert arizona